Chapter Fourteen of the Duke of Chimney Butte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Duke of Chimney Butte by G. W. Ogden. Chapter Fourteen. Notice is served. Taterleg was finding things easier on his side of the ranch. Nick Hargus was lying still. No hostile acts had been committed. This may have been due to the fierce and bristling appearance of Taterleg, as he humorously declared, or because Hargus was waiting reinforcements from the penal institutions of his own or surrounding states. Taterleg had a good many nights to himself as a consequence of the security which his grisly exterior had brought. These he spent at Glendora, mainly on the porch of the hotel in company of Alta Wood, chewing gum together as if they wove a fabric to bind their lives in adhesive amnity to the end. Lambert had a feeling of security for his line of fence also, as he rode home on the evening of his adventurous day. He had left a note on the pieced wire reminding Grace Kerr of his request that she ease her spite by unhooking it there instead of cutting it in a new place. He also added the information that he would be there on a certain date to see how well she carried out his wish. He wondered whether she would read his hope that she would be there at the same hour, or whether she might be afraid to risk Vesta Philbrook's fury again. There was an eagerness in him for the hastening of the intervening time, a joyous lightness which tuned him to such harmony with the world that he sang as he rode. Taterleg was going to Glendora that night. He pressed Lambert to join him. "'Man's got to take a day off sometime to rest his face and hands,' he argued. "'Them fillers can't run off any stock tonight, and if they do, they can't get very far away with them before we'd be on their necks. They know that. They're as safe as if we had them where they belong.' Oh, "'I guess you're right on that, Taterleg. I've got to go to town to buy me a pair of clothes anyhow, so I'll go with you.' Taterleg was as happy as a cricket humming a tune as he went along. He had made liberal application of perfume to his handkerchief and mustache, and of barber's pomatum to his hair. He had fixed his hat on carefully for the protection of the cowlick that came down over his left eyebrow, and he could not be stirred beyond a trot all the way to Glendora for fear of damage that might result. I had a run-in with that feller the other night, he said. What feller do you mean? Jedlick, darn him. You did. I didn't notice any of your ears bit off. No, we didn't come to licks. He tried to horn in while me and Alta was out on the porch. What did you do? Didn't have a show to do anything but hand him a few words. Alta, she got me by the arm and drug me in the parlor and slammed the door. No use trying to break away from that girl. She could pull an elephant away from his hay if she took a notion. Didn't Jedlick try to hang on? No, he stood out in the office rumbling to the old man, but that didn't bother me no more than the north wind when you're in bed under four blankets. Alta, she played me some tunes on her guitar and sung me some songs. Tell you, Duke, I just laid back and shut my eyes. I felt as easy as if I owned the railroad from here to Omaha. How long are you going to keep it up? Which up, Duke? Courtin' Alta. You'll have to show off your tricks pretty regular, I think, if you want to hold your own on that ranch. Taterleg rode along considering it. Yes, I guess a feller'd have to act if he wants to hold Alta. She's young, and the young like change, especially the girls. A man to keep Alta on the line'll have to marry her and set her to raising children. You know, Duke, 
There's something new to a girl in every man she sees. She likes to have him around till she leans agin him and rubs the paint off. Then she's out shooting eyes at another one. Are there others besides Jedlick? Bartender boards there at the hotel. He's got four gold teeth and he picks them with a quill. Sounds like somebody's slapping the crick with a fishing pole, but them teeth give him a standing in society. They look like money in the bank. Nothing to his business, though, Duke. No sentiment or romance or anything. Not much. Who else is there sitting in this Alta game? Young feller with a neck like a bottle off a ranch somewhere back in the hills. Titterleg mentioned him as with consideration. Lambert concluded that he was a rival to be reckoned with, but gave Titterleg his own way of coming to that. That feller's got a watch with a music box in the back of it, Duke. Ever see one of them? No, I never did. Well, he's got one of them all right. He starts that thing up about the time he hits the steps and comes in playing. Sweet violets, like he just couldn't help busting out in music the minute he comes inside of Alta. Feller gives me a pain. The Duke smiled. To every man, his own affair is romance. Every other man's a folly or a diverting comedy, indeed. She's a little too keen on that feller to suit me, Duke. She sits out there with him and winds that fool watch and plays them two tunes over till you begin to sag leaning her elbow on his shoulder like she had him paid for and didn't care whether he broke or not. What is the other tune? That one that goes heel and a toe and a pokey-o, a heel and a toe and a pokey-o. You know that one. I've heard it. She'll get tired of that watch after a while, Taterleg. Maybe if she don't, I guess I'll have to figure some way to beat it. What are Jedlick's attractions? Surely not good looks. Money, Duke. That's the answer to him, money. He's got a salt barrel full of it. The old man favors him for that money. That's harder to beat than a music box and a watch. Can't beat it, Duke. What's good looks by the side of money or brains? Well, they don't amount to cheese. Are you going to sidestep in favor of Jedlick, a man with all your experience and good clothes? Me? I'm a-going to lay that fella out on a board. They hitched at the hotel rack, that looking more respectable, as Taterleg said, than to leave their horses in front of the saloon. Alta was heard singing in the interior. There were two railroad men belonging to a traveling paint gang on the porch, smoking their evening pipes. Lambert felt it was his duty to buy cigars in consideration of the use of the hitching rack. Wood appeared in the office door as they came up the steps and put his head beyond the jam looking this way and that like a man considering a sortie with enemies laying in wait. Taterleg went into the parlor to offer the incense of his cigar in the presence of Alta, who was cooing a sentimental ballad to her guitar. It seemed to be of parting and the hope of reunion involving one named Irene. There was a run in the chorus accompaniment which Alta had down very neatly. The tinkling guitar, the simple plaintive melody sounded to Lambert as refreshing as the splash of a brook in the heat of the day. He stood listening, his elbow on the showcase, thinking vaguely that Alta had a good voice for singing babies to sleep. Wood stood in the door again, his stump of arm lifted a little, with an alertness about it that made Lambert think of a listening ear. 
He looked up and down the street in that uneasy, inquiring way that Lambert had remarked on his arrival, then came back and got himself a cigar. He stood across the counter from Lambert a little while, smoking, his brows drawn in trouble, his eyes shifting constantly to the door. Duke, said he, as with an effort, there's a man in town looking for you. I thought I'd tell you. Looking for me? Who is he? Sam Hargis. You don't mean Nick? No, he's Nick's brother. I don't suppose you ever met him. Never heard of him. He's only been back from Wyoming a week or two. He was over there sometime several years, I believe. In the pen over there? Wood took a careful survey of the door before replying, working his cigar over to the other side of his mouth in the way that a one-armed man acquires the trick. I, uh, they say he got mixed up in a cattle deal down there. Lambert smoked in silence a little while, his head bent, his face thoughtful. Wood shifted a little nearer, standing straight and alert behind his counter, as if prepared to act in some sudden emergency. "'Does he live around here?' Lambert asked. "'He's working for Barry Kerr, foreman over there. That's the job he used to have before he left.' Lambert grunted, expressing that he understood the situation. He stood in his leaning, careless posture, arm on the showcase, thumb hooked in his belt near his gun. "'Thought I'd tell you,' said Wood uneasily. "'Thanks.' Wood came a step nearer along the counter, leaned his good arm on it, watching the door without a break. He's one of the old gang that used to give Philbrook so much trouble. He's carrying lead that Philbrook shot into him now. So he's got it in for that ranch and everybody on it. Thought I'd tell you. I'm much obliged to you, Mr. Wood, said Lambert hardly. He's one of these kind of men you want to watch out for when your back is turned, Duke. Thanks, old feller. I'll keep it in mind what you say. I don't want it to look like I was on one side or the other. You understand, Duke? But I thought I'd tell you. Sim Hargis is one of them kind of men that a woman don't dare to show her face around where he is without the risk of being insulted. He's a foul-mouthed, foul-minded man, the kind of feller that ought to be treated like a rattlesnake in the road. Lambert thanked him again for his friendly information, understanding at once his watchful uneasiness, and the absence of Alta from the front of the house. He was familiar with that type of man, such as Wood had described Hargis as being. He had met some of them in the Badlands. There was nothing holy to them in the heavens or the earth. They did not believe there was any such thing as a virtuous woman, and honor was a word they had never heard defined. I'll go out and look him up, Lambert said. He happens to come in here asking about me? Tell him I'll be either in the store or the saloon. That's where he is, Duke, in the saloon. I supposed he was. You'll kind of run into him natural, won't you, Duke, and not let him think I tipped you off? Just as natural as the wind. Lambert went out. From the hitching rack he saw Wood at his post of vigil in the door, watching the road with anxious mien. It was a Saturday night. The town was full of visitors. Lambert went on to the saloon, hitching at the long rack in front of where twenty or thirty horses stood. The custom of the country made it almost an obligatory courtesy to go in and spend money when one hitched in front of a saloon, an excuse for entering that Lambert accepted with a grim feeling of satisfaction. 
while he didn't want it to appear that he was crowding a quarrel with any man the best way to meet a fellow who had gone spreading it abroad that he was out looking for one was to go where he was to be found it wouldn't look right to leave town without giving hargus a chance to state his business it would be a move subject to misinterpretation and damaging to a man's good name there was a crowd in the saloon which had a smoky blurred look through the open door some of the old gambling gear it had been uncovered and pushed out from the wall feral game was running with a dozen or more players at the end of the bar several poker tables stretched across the groomy front of what had been the ballroom of more hilarious days these players were a noisy outfit little money was being risked but it was going with enough profanity to melt it lambert stood at the end of the bar near the door his liquor in his hand lounging in his careless attitude of abstraction but there was not a lax fiber in his body every faculty was alert every nerve set for any sudden development the scene before him was disgusting rather than diverting in its squalid imitation of the rough and ready times which had passed before many of these men were old enough to carry the weight of a gun it was just a sporadic outburst a postule come to a sudden head that would burst before morning and clear away lambert ran his eyes among the twenty-five or thirty men in a place all appeared to be strangers to him he began to assort their faces as one searches for something in a heap trying to fix on one that looked mean enough to belong to a hargus a mechanical banjo suddenly added its metallic noise to the din fit music it seemed for such obscene company some started to dance slumberingly with high lifted legs and ludicrous turkey struts among these lambert recognized tom hargus the young man who had made the ungallant attempt to pass vesta philbrook's gate with his father he had more whiskey under his dark skin than he could take care of as he jiggled on limber legs he threw his hat down with a whoop his long black hair falling around his ears and down to his eyes bringing out the indian that slept in him sharper than the liquor had done it his face was flushed his eyes were heavy as if he had been under a headway a good while lambert watched him as he pranced about chopping his steps with feet jerked up straight like a string-hauled horse the indian was working trying to express itself in him through this exaggerated imitation of his ancestral dances his companions fell back in admiration giving him the floor the cowboy was feeding money into the music box to keep it going giving it coin together with certain grave drunken advice whenever it showed a symptom of a pause young hargus circled about the middle of the room barking in little short yelps every time he passed his hat he kicked it sometimes hitting oftener missing it at last driving it over against lambert's foot where it lodged lambert pushed it away a man beside him gave it a kick that sent it spinning back into the trodden circle tom was at that moment rounding his beat at the further end he came face about just as the hat skimmed across the floor stopped jerked himself up stiffly looked at lambert with a leap of anger across his drunken face immediately there was silence in a crowd that had been assisting on the sidelines of his performance they saw that tom resented this treatment of his hat by any foot save his own the man who had kicked it had fallen back with shoulders to the bar where he stood presenting the face of innocence tom walked out to the hat kicked it back within a few feet of lambert his hand on his gun 
He was all Indian now. The streak of smoky white man was engulfed. His handsome face was black with the surge of his lawless blood as he stopped a little way in front of Lambert. "'Pick up that hat,' he commanded, smothering his words in an avalanche of profanity. Lambert scarcely changed his position, save to draw himself erect and stand clear of the bar. To those in front of him he seemed to be carelessly lounging, like a man with time on his hands, peace before him. "'Who was your nigger last year, young feller?' he asked, with good humor in his words. He was reading Tom's eyes as a prize-fighter reads his opponents, watching every change of feature, every strain of facial muscle. Before young Hargus had put tension on his sinews to draw his weapon, Lambert had read his intention. The muzzle of the pistol was scarcely free of the scabbard when Lambert cleared the two yards between them in one stride. A grip of the wrist, a twist of the arm, and the gun was flung across the room. Tom struggled desperately, not a word out of him, striking with his free hand, sinewy as he was. He was only a toy in Lambert's hands. "'I don't want to have any trouble with you, kid.' said Lambert, capturing Tom's other hand and holding him, as he would have held a boy. Put on your hat and go home. Lambert released him and turned as if he considered the matter ended. At his elbow a man stood, staring at him with insolent, threatening eyes. He was somewhat lower of stature than Lambert, thick in the shoulders, firmly set on the feet, with small mustache, almost colorless and harsh as hog bristle. His thin eyebrows were white, his hair but a shade darker, his skin light for an outdoorsman. This, taken with his pale eyes, gave him an appearance of bloodless cruelty, which the sneer on his lips seemed to deepen and express. Behind Lambert, men were holding Tom Hargus, who had made a lunge to recover his gun. He heard them trying to quiet him while he growled and whined like a wolf in a trap. Lambert returned the stranger's stare, withholding anything from his eyes that the other could read, as some men born with a certain cold courage are able to do. He went back to the bar, the man going with him shoulder to shoulder, turning his malevolent eyes to continue his unbroken stare. "'Put up that gun,' the fellow said, turning sharply to Tom Hargus, who had wrenched free and recovered his weapon. Tom obeyed him in silence, picked up his hat, beat it against his leg, Put it on. "'You're the Duke of Chimney Butte, aren't you?' the stranger inquired, turning again with his sneer and cold, insulting eyes to Lambert, who knew him now for Sim Hargus, foreman for Barry Kerr. "'If you know me, there is no need for us to be introduced,' Lambert returned. "'Duke of Chimney Butte,' said Hargus with immeasurable scorn. He grunted his words with such an intonation of insult that it would have been pardonable to shoot him on the spot. Lambert was slow to kindle. He put a curb now on even his naturally deliberate vehicle of wrath, looking the man through his shallow eyes down to the roots of his mean soul. "'You're the feller that's come here to teach us fellers to take off our hats when we see a fence,' Hargus said looking meaner with every breath. "'You got it right, partner,' Lambert calmly replied. "'Duke of Chimney Butte. Well, partner, I'm the king of Hotfoot Valley, and I've got traveling papers for you right here.' 
Seemed a bit a little sudden about it, Lambert said, a lazy drawl to his words that inflamed Hargus like a blow. Not half as sudden as you'll be, kid. This country ain't no place for you, young feller. You're too fresh to keep in this hot climate. And the longer you stay, the hotter it gets. I'll give you just two days to make your getaway in. Consider the two days up, said Lambert, with such calm and such coolness of head, that men who heard him felt a thrill of admiration. This ain't no joke, Hargus corrected him. I believe you, Hargus, as far as it concerns me. I'm just as far from this country right now as I'll be in two days or maybe two years. Consider your limit up. It was so still in the barroom that one could have heard a match burn. Lambert had drawn himself up stiff and straight before Hargus and stood facing him with defiance in every line of his stern, strong face. I'll give you your rope, Hargus said, feeling that he had been called to show his hand in an open manner that was not his style, and playing for a footing to save his face. If you ain't gone in two days, you'll settle with me. Goes for me, Hargus. It's your move. Lambert turned, contempt in his courageous bearing, and walked out of the place, scorning to throw a glance behind to see whether Hargus came after him or rather he laid hand on his weapon in the treachery that Lambert had read in his eyes. End of chapter 14